Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. From the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Have I mentioned how much I hate the coffee machine? Not lately. I want to smash the coffee machine into tiny pieces. I want to set it on fire. I want to fornicate it, then defecate upon it. Then I want to set it on fire again. Then I want to reassemble the pieces into a commode so I continue to defecate on it for decades to come. Wow, eat some prunes. I hate the coffee machine. Wow, that's some graphic talk there. I'm sorry you had to hear that, folks. This man has clearly (laughs) lost his his marbles. (laughs) Another thing I thought about. So uh, this car that I'm driving for reasons that aren't interesting has Spotify. I don't have Spotify count, but... Somebody's paying for this. Anyway, um, so I was listening to some music the other day, and a couple of times this has happened where I... Th- there is so much great music in the world that you've never heard of, mm, regardless yeah. of your favorite genre. I mean, it's just... It's, like, practically unlimited. How are there so many talented people? And what... Uh, just doing the music must be motivation enough. Or is everybody hoping they'll be able to make enough money off of it, and then... Quitting at some point because you got to get a real job and raise your kids, or how, how does that whole thing work? Do you think? But there's just there's an if I eliminated every bit of music I've heard in my life and I didn't get, I wasn't allowed anything of I can only hear stuff I've never heard from now on. There's still be plenty of great oh, yeah. stuff to listen to, and it's probable that you could find plenty of stuff that you love every bit as much as your favorite stuff, or at least it's possible. Boy, I think so. Yeah, I, I came across this 
song that just came up uh, last night, and then I did a little Googling around. They're like, this guy was a, his heyday was the early 2000s, so I'm like 20 years behind. But uh, mm-hmm. there's so much great music, and I'm sure that's true of this year, next year, and the year before that. Um, I don't know. But we keep cranking it out. Human beings keep yeah. cranking it out of their love of making music, I guess. Well, yeah, speaking for myself, you start with silence and you end up with 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 harmony and rhythm and and notes and joy and and or, you know, emotion, some sort of emotion. Um and it's it's a wonderful thing. I, you know, speaking for myself and my friends and bandmates through the years, you do it cuz you love to do it. And if something good happens, that would be really really great, particularly when you're young, you're thinking, yeah, I want to get signed, I want to tour, blah blah blah. But after a while, you realize, no, it's it's great for its own sake. What would you guess is the percentage of, like, random luck that plays a role in somebody becoming, like, able to make a living at it versus the quality of the music? If you're just going to guess. I realize it's very... Yeah. I, 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 I see what you're got, driving There's out. got to be a tremendous amount of random luck. There just has oh, yeah, to be, because the, there's so much good stuff. Yeah, yeah. We actually got an email from a listener. I can't recall his name, but shout out, my brother. He sent me a bunch of uh, recordings his band had done in the 90s, I believe, um, and and when his whole life was dedicated to getting them signed and, and, and getting famous and that sort of thing. And indeed, they did get signed, had a lot of great songs. Then their guitar player got injured, so they couldn't record for a while. Their label dropped them. Because, you know, they got enough uh, bands that can record without your stupid guitar player getting injured. They couldn't get re-signed, and then just they recorded the songs just to make sure they were recorded. Um, and they're terrific. I mean, they don't exactly scratch me where I itch, but in terms of the quality of it and the skill and the sound and everything, it was as good as anything on the radio. Like, John Batiste won the Grammy for Best Album, and it's real good. I've, I've listened to it a fair amount since it was announced a couple of weeks ago. It's real good. But I'll bet the best album of the year was recorded by four guys and a girl in Santa Fe, New Mexico, or something like mm-hmm. that. And yeah. and nobody but their friends and people that go to that bar have ever heard it? Yeah, probably. Yeah, might sell a thousand copies, if if indeed they sell copies of it at gigs or stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. But that's that's why you got to do it for the joy of it, and if if something else happens, great. But you know we, and it's interesting not to get all music geeky on you, but from the point of view of the audience, what you're exposed to, especially prior to the flattening of uh, the music world through the internet, um, what you're exposed to is acts that had already gotten through the first fourteen steps and six lucky breaks. That's the only reason you're aware of them. So it seemed to you like every band has gotten through the 14 steps and six lucky breaks because you haven't seen the other tens of thousands. You're not even aware they exist. Um, unless, you know, your, your, your brother's in one and he's making noise in the garage or whatever. It's like the Luke Combs has got a song right now, and he's a giant country star right now. I mean, like, he's among the biggest stars in America. But he was asked by an interviewer, what would you be doing if you weren't doing this? And he thought about it for a while, and he, he wrote a song. Now, it's, this is what I'd be doing if I weren't doing this. I'd be on a, I'd have a Friday night crowd in the palm of my hand, a cup of brown liquor, and some buddies in the band. I'd, he'd be doing the same thing, mm. um, just for less money. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Um, I've brought this up before. I, this, this, this is like fun homework for you. If you have not checked out the anti-work Reddit thread... You really should. I mean, you just right. want to entertain yourself. 
Every once in a while, I jump in and just like within three posts, I'll come across something I love. It's called Anti-Work on Reddit. It has two million idlers, they're called, subscribers that post and, and read on all the time. And uh, well, I'll read, I'll read what the premise is if you haven't heard it. It's a subreddit for those who want to end work. Okay, let's stop right there. What the, what the <laughs> oh, that's do you mean beautiful. By, what the F do you mean by that? <laughs> and you don't be crazy. You don't be crazy. If you had some sort of time machine, but it's not just a time machine, it's a bus, like a really big touring bus. You could fit 60-some people in it comfortably. I would take my time machine. I would go back 20 years, 50 years, 100 years, 500 years, 1,000 years, 10,000 years, etc. I would fill that bus back practically. I'd probably even include some of my brother Neanderthals on that bus. I would bring that bus back to the present day. I would sit down. I would read that thread to them, and every single Homo sapien and Neanderthal from every era would guffaw in unison. Am I wrong? I am not wrong. A sub again. There's two million people on here, and I don't know how many people are following it to mock it. But based on the posts, there's a lot of people who believe it. It's a subreddit for those who want to end work, are curious about ending work, want to get the most out of a work-free life, a work-free life. Want more information on anti-work ideas and want personal help with their own jobs, work-related struggles. There you go. And here's just one post, and it's got something about the average price of a home. And homes are homes are expensive now. Rent is expensive now. It's very hard to afford. No denying that. But it says minimum wage people apparently shouldn't be afforded the luxury of every being able to own a house. Shake my head. Everyone should be able to afford housing regardless of how much they make, whether it's the minimum wage or not. Right. Where do you even start with that person? All right. Right. Well, yes, you know, it's the crowd that their, their, their stated premises. We want to end work. So everybody, no matter how little they make, should be able to afford to buy a house. How are you going to, or make how that? little they try? <laughs> exactly. But how, how, how are you going to make that happen? I just, it's just stunning to me. I guess they a house. Just like a shed or like a four-bedroom house. And if not that, then why not a mansion? Did I mean, you say where does it end? shed? S-H-E-D. Shed. Okay. shed, yes. Just in my headphones, I couldn't tell you sitting there. Sorry. Um, some wax in your ears. I guess, shed I guess the only thing I can do... <laughs> what a pile of shed. <laughs> I guess the only thing I can do is is work to make sure that my kids have full grasp of reality, right? I mean, that's the only thing oh, I yeah. can do. Yeah, I think, um, you know, speaking of the downside of the Internet, uh, connecting uh, would-be instigators with would-be followers, uh, as Dave Barry, I'm not Dave Barry, uh, PJ O'Rourke put it so amusingly on our show, connecting every idiot in the world with every other idiot, (laughs) there are ideas online, quite a few of them, and that's one example, that bind together communities. So you have a a large, in some cases, support network of many people who think the same way you do. Well, there are some ideas, pardon me, folks, that are so effing stupid or perverse, sick, they should not have a community. I like to molest children, should not have a community. I don't think I should have to work to have a nice house, should not have a community, because it's freaking stupid. Class A, moron. 
That's right, Alec. You would have to span the world. I mean, like spend your entire lifetime and enormous amounts of money traveling around the world to find a thousand people who thought that it made sense. But on the Internet, it's effortless. So did, were these people raised by wolves? I mean, how did you come? I'm pretty sure I'll bring it up to my kids and I'm pretty sure my 10 and 12 year old would say, well, that wouldn't work because blank, blank, blank. If I threw out the idea of nobody has to work or everybody deserves a house or something like that. Uh, I'm going to have you a T-shirt made. I'm going to have what good would it do if you were wearing it? I'm going to have me a T-shirt made so you can read it on my chest all the time. (laughs) Ideology trumps logic and intelligence every day. But if I found out my kids were on the anti-work Reddit when they're in their 20s posting stuff like that, I would think I have completely... 100% 100% failed as a parent. Because that's just that. How would you possibly get to that conclusion? Because you're surrounded by people who repeat it to you every day and you crave their approval. Well, that's part of it. But part of it, you've clearly never had a job. Like, Sam wants a job as soon as he can. And I think, like, at Target, you can be 16, and there's some fast food places where you can be 14. Or you have a job and you work with people. That attitude is already gone because there will be somebody at your workplace that ain't worth a crap that you have to work harder to pick up the slack for them. And automatically, mm-hmm. immediately, the whole idea of everybody deserves a house is gone for the rest of your life. If, if you've you never had a job, think. though, if you're 24 and you've never had a job, you've, you're still under the impression that everybody's doing their best and evil employers are the only thing that keep you from getting rich. And again, for all of human history, you and that idiotic idea, you'd have rolled that out among your coworkers, and they'd they'd say, what the hell are you talking about, you idiot? And it would have ended there. But now, thanks to the Internet, you can find 5,000 people who say, yeah, yeah, you're right. We shouldn't have to work to afford a Ferrari. That's unfair. (laughs) Ferraris are a human right. (laughs) Armstrong and Getty. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. 
So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at PurdueGlobal.edu. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. Point of personal privilege. Don't get brazen with me. The Armstrong and Getty Show. America's ever-expanding criminal code. We've talked about this over the years. Oh, on how on how likely it is that you've uh, violated a federal, you've committed a federal crime every single day of your life. The number of federal crimes has increased thirty six percent since the nineties. How is that even possible? How many federal crimes has Congress created? The question seems like it ought to have a straightforward answer that citizens can look up. In fact, it's more like asking how many genes are in the human genome. The answer is in the many thousands, but despite decades of counting. No one knows for sure how many federal crimes there are. Wow. Our own government does not know, cannot tell you how many federal crimes there are. All we know is they've increased dang near 40% since the 90s. The Heritage Foundation uh, report that just came out notes that there is no single place where any citizen can go to learn all federal criminal laws. And even if there were, some are so vague that no reasonable person could understand what they mean. How do you like that? Some of the oldest, most uh, persuasive and eloquent quotes about self-governance have to do with the fact that if the laws are so voluminous and difficult to understand, nobody can comprehend them, it's impossible to have a free people. Yep. These figures that I just mentioned don't cover the 175,000-page Code of Federal Regulations, regulations which contains an unknown number of crimes created by the executive branch, which are the same as laws. Uh 175,000 pages of regulations that are treated like laws for fining or jailing or whatever else. That's not included in the 40% increase that we were talking about earlier. Wow. How do you like that? The results can be grimly amusing, says this defense lawyer that they're quoting in the Wall Street Journal. Many examples, such as a 2006 regulation that creates a potential five-year prison sentence for bringing more than $5 of nickels out of the United States. Uh, I don't think I've done that. More than how more than how much? If you take more than $5 worth of nickels out of the country, you've committed a federal crime punishable by up to a 5-year prison sentence. Great, Scott. The Constitution envisioned that most lawbreaking would be handled by state governments, while the federal government's jurisdiction jurisdiction would be much narrower. As Congress asserts jurisdiction over conduct already criminalized by states, however, that division erodes. Duplicative, that'd be more of the same thing in the same area of law, laws mean prosecutors can charge different people committing the same offense with different crimes, opening the door for bias, the report notes. Or they can be prosecuted twice for the same offense. The Supreme Court has held most recently in 2019 that consecutive state and federal prosecutions don't violate the Fifth Amendment's double jeopardy clause. Both political parties should recognize the risk of an ever-expanding roster of federal crimes, which invites abuse by prosecutors, because if you have a, if you're out to get somebody, you can come up with a federal crime that they have violated. Sure. And get, and make their lives difficult. How about a commitment by Congress, says the Wall Street Journal, to re-examine the necessity of an existing crime for every new one it creates? I like the idea of that. Yeah, it's a beautiful dream. I'm not sure it'll ever happen. How about that? A 40%, nearly 40% increase just since the 90s. I was just reading. Uh, go ahead. Sorry. And a lot of them duplicating already existing state laws, which means they don't need to be uh, exist at all. 
Yeah, I was just reading an editorial that I found uh, hopeful, if somewhat unrealistic, that a lot of the cynicism about the federal government and politics and the rest of it might be redirecting people to understand what is so obvious but has been forgotten. First, the family, the house, then the neighborhood, then your town. And if your town can't deal with it, maybe your county. And if your county can't deal with it, there's a near 100% chance your state can deal with it. The further you get from yourself, from the individual, the worse government is, the less responsive it is, the more wasteful it is. Your chance of getting a hearing for your local issue in the White House is none. There is no chance of that. Yet people reflexively look to our Santa Claus God mommy, the president, to solve our problems. It's it's delusional almost to the point that people ought to be like put in a mental institution. Yep. And focus on a national conversation regularly about what the current president thinks about masks or vaccines or a variety of things, as opposed to what your county thinks, because that's all that matters. Great example. Perfect example in these troubled times. Uh, You know, that discussion of the zillions of federal laws reminds me of my favorite Ayn Rand quote. Uh, from Atlas Shrugged, and, and some of you worship her as a hero. Some think she's a crank. I think she's much closer to the, the former than the latter. But um, one of the characters says, do you really think we want these laws observed? We're after power, and we mean it. And there's no way to rule innocent men. The only power any government have is is the power to crack down on criminals. Well, when there aren't enough criminals, one makes them. One declares so many things to be a crime that it becomes impossible for people to live without breaking laws. Who wants a nation of law-abiding citizens? Uh, what's there in that for anyone? Just pass the kind of laws that can neither be observed nor enforced nor objectively interpreted, and you create a nation of lawbreakers, and then you can cash in on guilt. Armstrong and Getty. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to fifteen hundred dollars again sign up using code buckeye and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and game sense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in president ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park that's 1-800-GAMBLER this is it your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. 
Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. True international depression. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Is it the return of paddling in our schools? <laughs> I don't know. But it's happening in a Missouri school. Wait, 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 wait a minute. We're not allowed to say boys and girls anymore, but there's paddling? <laughs> oh, it's Missouri. Okay. So Joe and I, did, well, you had paddling at your school, right? Uh, allegedly, yeah, in elementary school. Allegedly, so like it never actually occurred? You know, I think I remember one kid who got paddled. Geez, my memory is it was like a weekly occurrence at the school I went to. Of course, there was a couple of bad actors that had it coming. Um, uh, Michael, did you grow up with paddling? Uh, no. You've been in California your whole life, soft, Weasley, California schools. Weasley. Um, <laughs> Hanson, did you grow up with paddling? S- South Dakota? And his mom paddled people because she worked at the school. There you go. So we got uh, our executive producers, Hanson. Not only did he oh, grow yeah. up being paddled, his mom paddled students. Alex, I'm guessing you're a Californian your whole life, no paddling. Uh, I'm also a millennial, so no. Okay. All right. Yeah, yeah, boy, exactly. in South Dakota, they paddle you if you're good. If you're bad, they paddle you twice as much. <laughs> anyway, um, it, it helped keep me in line. I was kind of an in-line person anyway, sort of kid anyway. I was going to follow the rules. And, uh, but man, we talked about it a lot. Kids talked about it all the time, the paddling. And, um, and the, the different teachers had it, and the gym teacher had a paddle with holes in it so it could be more aerodynamic and hit you harder Ooh. and stuff like that, you know, just this. <laughs> but Miss Rutledge, she was the eighth grade English teacher. She was about four foot nothing and, uh, mean old woman. She oh. paddled kids like crazy for getting out of line. Because really? she was so short, she everybody always said they'd hit you in the back of the legs instead of your buttocks, and it hurt more. Wow. So would she do it right in the classroom? I mean, did you witness it? I don't think I ever witnessed a paddling, so it must have been in the office or after school or something like that. I'm pretty sure I never witnessed a paddling. Anyway, let me read from this story. It's in the Washington Post. Missouri School District revives paddling to discipline students. Wow. School district in southwest Missouri is bringing back a measure it has resorted, it had last resorted to over two decades ago to address disciplinary problems spanking students. Uh, the reasoning behind it, talking to the, um, people in charge in, in, uh, uh, management there, you know, principal, superintendent, that sort of stuff. Parents have said, why can't you paddle my student? And we're like, we can't paddle your student. Our policy does not support that. There have been conversations with parents who wanted paddling to come back for their own students. Wow. Wow, what a cultural difference. No kidding. I mean, in California, you have school administrators saying, now we have restorative justice, or if a big kid bullies a small child and beats them down and bloodies them and terrifies them, we put them together, and we have the bullied child tell the bully how he feels about it, and then the bully says how he feels about it, and then we send them back to class. That is 100% accurate, even though you Uh used kind of a comedic voice. That is exactly what is happening in the schools. I can attest to that. But um, And we have a a co-worker who was complaining just a little bit ago about how one of his kids' classrooms here on the first week of school is completely out of control. And there ain't much the teacher can do with restorative justice going on. But anyway, back to Missouri. Um, Because I got a question for you, and I don't know how to answer the question myself. Uh, classes started on Monday for the 1,900 students at this school district, about an hour west of Branson, if you know that area at all, and I do. 
during open house, families were notified that the school board had adopted a policy in June allowing use of physical force as a method of correcting student behavior. It's funny when you put it in words like that. It sounds awful. Uh, <laughs> physical force as a method of correcting student behavior. Parents were handed forms to specify whether they authorized the school to use a paddle on their child or not. That was not happening when I was a kid. So you sign off as a parent. Do you allow the school to paddle your kid or not? Are you a yes or a no on that, do you think? I am a no until it's demonstrated there's a need to be a yes. I'm a little concerned about them going to that too quickly and too lazily. So you're not an unreserved no, but you're not a yes. Correct. I'm Um, a quibbler, as you know. Formerly known as corporal punishment, the disciplinary measure usually involves striking students on the buttocks with a wooden paddle. Staff members will employ reasonable physical force, it says in quotes, so that's the the language, Uh-oh. without, quote, a chance of bodily injury or harm. Well, injury or harm, the whole point of being paddled is it hurts. I mean, I don't know what your definition of harm is. Well, in, in a good swatting, not a brute, not brutality, not abuse, that could leave a mark. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A temporary yeah. mark, yeah. Uh, maybe a bruise or something. And at that point, uh, the line between reasonable and unreasonable or reasonable and abuse is in the eye of the beholder. Oh, uh, right. And, uh, always have to point out we're on the air in San Francisco where there are grown men paying a lot of money today to get this done to them. It's a good point. So always got to bring that up. Um, so, uh, staff members will employ reasonable physical force without a chance of bodily harm or injury in the presence of a witness, according to the new policy. A teacher, okay. a teacher or principal must also send a report to the superintendent explaining the reasoning behind the punishment. Uh, what exactly constitutes reasonable force is unclear. Uh, at this time, we will focus on educating our students. We're not spending all our time thinking about how hard we're going to hit them with boards. <laughs> Again, when you state it that way, it sounds horrible. You know, I would never traffic in cliches but uh, or stereotypes, but I'd be a little concerned about maybe backwoods dad who says, go ahead and paddle, but then thinks I went too far on his kid. I'd be a little concerned about that there in southwest Missouri. So my thoughts on it are, uh, it depends on the teacher. I would, there are teachers I absolutely would say yes to. I, I know you well enough. I completely believe in your judgment. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are teachers that I, I wouldn't want to say yes to. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. You know, I, I think generally speaking, there are much better methods than violence, um, for than beating children than most kids, for most kids. On the other hand, each method, whether Kind of the traditional non-physical method or the restorative justice or paddling kids. Each has its own set of problems. Yeah. Well, there's no perfect solution. Neither one of my kids are likely to cross the barriers where you would get paddled anyway. So maybe that's part of my not being that worried about it. But it's interesting. My son, uh, one of my kids is having this experience. He'd heard about this legendary teacher that was so mean, so mean, you know, that you hear about it grades before you even get there. Right. Oh, you have Mr. Johnson. And uh, he loves this teacher. And I had told him that that was my experience all through school. Every, oh, he's mean, she's mean teacher was always my favorite teacher. You know why? Because they had freaking order in the classroom. And they demanded something of you. And, and, and that. when you delivered, it would make you feel good about it. 
there's order in the classroom and you actually did something. And I liked it, and he likes it. So, yeah. Uh, corporal punishment is not new in American schools, Joe. For centuries, students have been whipped or struck by rulers and paddles. In 1867, New Jersey became the first state to ban the practice in public schools. 1867! The sleeves, wow. the slaves, the sleeves, the slaves had barely been freed, and they did yeah. away with paddling in schools. That's interesting because my dad went to Catholic school, and a lot of people who went to Catholic school are already nodding their heads. My dad went to Catholic school in New York, uh, in uh, New York and New Jersey, in I guess it would be the fifties. Um, and physical punishment, corporal punishment, was handed out for the slightest of infractions. You're looking out the window, a nun whacks you with a wooden ruler. Yeah, I, you know, I've heard those stories. I never witnessed that or anything like that, or I don't think I've known anybody who actually lived with it. I, I feel like that would make me twitchy and scared, and uh, that sounds very unproductive to me. Oh, yeah, and the kids resented the hell out of it, and it drove a lot of them away from Catholicism. They thought, this isn't Christian mercy, this is cruel. That's a, it's an interesting sort of person that could do that too, that could walk around hitting kids because they looked out the window or whatever. Yeah. Anyway. Well, it's not like they had a ball bat. It just stung, but it's still, I don't know. Um, it was a hundred years before other states started to follow suit doing away with physical punishment in school. But even so, and I didn't know this, in 1977, the Supreme Court decision Ingram versus White, right, deemed corporal punishment at public schools to be constitutional and left up to the states to decide what to do, which I perfectly am fine with. I, I What about you? I'm, I'm fine with the, the county in Missouri deciding if they want to do it or not. Yeah, give it, give it a try. Let us know how it uh, comes out there. Punishment is still legal in public schools across 19 states. How do you like that? Dang near half, including Missouri. Uh, in almost all states, except for New Jersey and Iowa, it's also allowed in private schools. Gotta and hope. in your progressive states, again, the strong can victimize the weak and get away with it because that's progressive. <sighs> right. There's more bullying going on than when I was a kid. Even oh, yeah. after all these years of anti-bullying PSAs on radio and television. And uh, personally, I'd rather be punished for something that I did wrong by a teacher than just randomly uh, hurt by kids in the playground that nobody does anything about. Anyway, interesting story on that. Had back to school last night for uh, my youngest and was reminded when you're in the presence of a really great teacher how amazing they are. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was yeah. clear just from the couple hour going through what they're going to learn and what they're going to do and just, man, is that a gift. You are a certain sort of person. I was just looking at her, I was looking at her and thinking... I couldn't do what you do the way you're doing it, no matter how hard I tried. Yeah, my great teachers changed my life. Likewise, my kids, in ways that you know they're still finding out. But yeah, it's it's an amazing vocation. It's uh, I hate that we're running a lot of great teachers out of the job. That's what I was going to bring up. It's it, it's one of the reasons it really bothers me that the. Secretary of Education was on all the talk shows over the weekend and making it all about pay is that I know it's not all about pay. We've we've had we've heard from enough enough teachers that whether it's the restorative justice, they can't control the classroom or the, you know, hours of paperwork they have to do for all kinds of crap to fill fulfill various equity requirements and stuff like that, that that keeps them from the teaching part. God, don't drive out the special people 
that have that were born to be teachers. Don't drive them out of the industry for that, please. It's I think it's crime. probably too late. I think it's yeah. too late too. How yeah. awful is the thought of that? I mean, I was listening to this teacher and everything that she does and 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 how she handles everything. I thought, good lord, how much work is that? How much time does it take you to do this? It's just oh, extraordinary. Yeah, I was reading a teacher uh, describing the other day, uh, they were in one of the school districts where they decided it was uh, more equitable that you didn't have to do your assignments on time. Um, or you could retake tests infinitely. Or, and this teacher was describing, I can't remember if it was a, a he or a she, which still exists in spite of public schools' efforts to convince you it doesn't. Uh, the he or the she was explaining how I need to call a school counselor, tell them here's the situation, then get in contact with the parents, explain the situation to them, and then hope the kid turns in the assignment. If they don't, I need to go through the process again. And if it happens a third time, it's blah, 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 blah. Same with retaking tests and all. They said, I could easily spend three hours of my time trying to get little Johnny to pass a 10-question quiz, for instance. Three hours. And I've got 32 students. And maybe one kid that's struggling with something, I could spend that three hours on actually helping them. Or, well, right, or or the kid who doesn't give a crap, you've got to spend all your time trying to get them to turn in their assignment, because if they don't, and they happen to be a kid of a protected, you know, class or whatever, your superintendent is going to come down on you like a load of bricks, because you failed little Jimmy, and now now the, the, the activists are on us. So, yeah, teachers are leaving because of the pay. Of course you want more pay. I want more pay. But that's not why they're leaving. Yeah. Uh, I was very happy to see that my kid got such a great teacher and just a reminder of how amazing those people are. I don't know if it's a gene or what it is, but... It's a talent, no doubt. Yeah. Armstrong and Getty. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to fifteen hundred dollars again sign up using code buckeye and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and game sense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park that's 1-800-GAMBLER this is it your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. 
Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. I got my sexy pants on. The Armstrong and Getty Show. This is so interesting. This is, I don't know, is it a news story, an opinion piece? It's impossible to tell anymore in the New York Times. How a storied phrase became a partisan battleground. Jasmine Uloa in the New York Times. A touchstone of political and social discourse, the nearly 100-year-old phrase, the American dream, is being repurposed, repurposed, critics say distorted, particularly by Republicans of color. Hmm. Oh, boy. Once again, the left media, the New York Times, if any black or brown person dares speak independently or not according to the progressive line, all of a sudden there's something wrong with them. So immediately my hackles were up a little bit, but I thought, okay, allegedly, I mean, then that's a hell of an allegation. Uh, Republicans, and particularly Republicans of color, are distorting the phrase. So let's listen to the make the case. Are Republicans using the term, the American dream, properly or perverting it? Juan Siscomani, a Republican who washed cars to help his Mexican immigrant father pay the bills, is now running for Congress in Arizona. It's a great story. He's been leaning on a simple three-word phrase throughout his campaign, the American dream. To him, the American dream has become uh, something to aspire to, but to defend from attack... He says in one ad, President Biden and Nancy Pelosi are destroying the American dream with a border crisis, soaring inflation, and schools that don't teach the good things about America. Yeah. In- interesting. I uh, I, I agree uh, that that is what's happening. Yeah, but- I think I'm voting for this guy. I don't know anything else about him, but... For decades, politicians have used the phrase the American dream to describe a promise of economic opportunity and upward mobility yeah. of prosperity through hard work. Yeah. Exactly. It's been a promise so powerful it drew immigrants from around the world who went on to fulfill it generation after generation. Okay, you're making my case so far. Surely there's a twist so far, or or ahead rather, because a lot of people on your side of it are saying the American dream is a lie, that the idea that you can work hard and be a success in this country is a lie because of systemic racism. And your very premise in this article is that it's people of color who are pitching this. I'm confused. Perhaps I'll read on. And she mentions political figures in both parties employ the phrase. Now a new crop of Republican candidates and elected officials are using the phrase in a different way, invoking the same promise but arguing in speeches, ads, etc., that the American dream is in danger, threatened by what they see as rampant crime, unchecked illegal immigration, burdensome government regulations, and liberal social policies. Many of these Republicans are people of color, including immigrants and the children of immigrants, for whom the phrase has deep resonance. In other words, exactly, precisely the sort of people who would know. Surely she gets around to, uh, like, refuting the argument in a minute or two, right? Then she goes into some of the history of it, that Trump mentioned it. Uh, She mentions that uh, Barack Obama warned the American dream could slip away. Uh, Bill Clinton and other Democrats. Then she says what's changed is some Republicans now cast the situation more starkly using the dream is in danger rhetoric. And that's, I guess, a, a difference, but a subtle difference. 
Okay, let's get back to these crazed Republicans of color, like Jason Miaras, a Republican and the child of Cuban immigrants. They fled communism, for God's sake. Both parties used to celebrate the fact that in America, America is an exceptional country. Now you have only one party that celebrates that fact. Uh, right. Amen. Hallelujah. Correct. The American dream was part of his successful campaign to become Virginia's first Latino attorney general. My head's going to explode. This article, which is attacking these ideas, is like proving them better than anything I've ever read. Okay, all right, never mind the Cuban immigrant who's now a successful man because he believes in the American dream. Let's go to this uh, Myra Flores we've talked about, a Mexican immigrant. First generation became the first Latino Republican in Congress in Texas. Ran an ad that declared Democrats are destroying the American dream. How dare she having achieved it? (laughs) (laughs) What was the title of this article? Oh, I got to scan back up. How a storied phrase became a partisan battleground. What are, wow, I don't know. Boy, I feel like my defense attorney is standing up in court and saying, oh, he clearly killed somebody. They need an editor that would have looked at it big picture and say, I don't think your headline and your premise and everything is holding together. All right, here's another one of these monsters. Antonio Suad, an Italian-Lebanese immigrant running for a house seat in Dallas, said in an ad he washes he washed dishes at the age of 15 before opening two restaurants, telling voters the American dream does not come from a government handout. Armstrong and Getty. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball. From growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers.